Robin Miller, IndyCar dickhead. <laughs> Wait, is, is, is that Fair. your word? No. Okay, okay, sure. If you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Fucking enjoyable. That's two. That's it's okay. It's, it's hyphenated in Indiana. <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Dinner with Racers. I'm your host, Ryan Eversley. I'm Sean Heckman. Your other host. And we are day 34. Day 34. Think about that. 34. Hey, you, listener. Yeah, you like this show, do you? 34 days. You like 34 days on the road? Traveling 25 states. Yeah. 13,000 miles. For you. 29 of these free meals that you can turn around and second guess. And tell us all about how you would have asked something else. And you know what? This would be a perfect episode for that because this episode is Robin Miller. Robin L. Miller. And if you like racer comments, well, I'm sure he does too, as he is a longtime motorsports journalist who writes for some websites such as... Racer.com. Exactly. And Robin is a longtime just champion of the sport. The guy's been in it for so long. He knows everybody, and he's got a story about everyone. And he's not short of opinions, which has gotten him in trouble over the years. He's been fired from the Indianapolis Star, uh, gotten lots of threatening calls and letters from various people within the sport. And if there's one thing that can be said about Robin based on our sit-down is that he don't care, and he lives, eats, and breathes indie car racing. He gets a lot of grief. Uh, for people who feel like he's just making headlines, just saying the things that are going to get people's attention. But after sitting down and looking this guy in the eye, uh-uh. This dude truly believes with a lot of passion everything he says, and he works for it. So we sat down with Robin Miller at the 1911 Grill, which is owned by former DWR guest Sarah Fisher. And it's in Speedway, Indiana, right down the street from Ed Carpenter's shop. So a pretty cool location. Please go there and support Sarah Fisher. It is an awesome restaurant. We had a great time. Now, Ryan mentioned that it's just a couple buildings down from Ed Carpenter Racing, and that's actually one of the storylines because literally a scoop unravels right before our eyes. Now, we learned about Robin's mechanical abilities, or lack thereof. Apparently, he's awful. Strangely, he's very open about his opinions on IndyCar. We learned about Bobby Unser's pickup game. And we hear uh, a handful of impressions that are pretty charming. So we headed down there on a National Strawberry Cream Pie Day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That's a thing. And this whole trip was uh, courtesy of a fantastic drive in this Acura MDX driven by Mr. Dario Franchitti. This is almost over, right? Yeah, it'll be over when we say it's over. God. In any case, thanks to our sponsorship from Continental Tire. Making this whole thing possible. Lubing the deals. Robin L. Miller. Robin Lube Miller. TDS. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Welcome. What's going on? How you guys? How are you, sir? What's going on? All right. Good seeing you. Which one's Sean and which one's Ryan? Which one do you think? I don't know. Who looks like, <laughs> which one looks like a PR guy and which one looks like a race car driver? He looks like a race car driver. <laughs> you got it. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Let's have you put that on if you don't mind. Just going around. 
Yeah, we go right to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was here in May. I don't so know. we get yeah. on NBC. We get almost two hours of Foyt talking about his whole career. Every we stopped at every picture and every car. Oh no kidding! And I said, uh, "Okay, this is going to be a three-minute feature on NBC. Can we make a two-hour two DVD and, and right. run it on the on the internet?" Oh yeah. yeah. Never touched it. Oh. So, all your it, that's the that's probably the most amazing thing about television is how much t all that film and all those people yeah. and all that sh and you you're on and you then know, you cut it two down minutes or bite. three or that's actually kind of why we do this uh, because these are long form we'll put them out we will do some editing uh, much to your chagrin but but no like, i just thought that was funny. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you edited like, that was like what and usually it's just because like we were with dixon yesterday um scott, scott dixon yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, it took him you know he doesn't know us. if so you can get dixon to talk for two hours you've accomplished something well oh, then yeah. we won yeah yeah, we yeah, won. yeah yeah but it took him 45 minutes to sort of get through and well, show his humor so yeah, he's uh, got a he's a funny guy it's yeah. just that people oh he's too boring he's too dull oh, no, no he's not we, at all we we're just proved that, that. yeah, yeah. Fix that. we have a but video he, we can't show the general public has no clue yeah and nobody knows who he is yeah yeah and they know elio and they know canaan and they used to know Dario because of this crazy bitch-faced old lady. But, you know, they don't know anybody. I mean, we go to dinner downtown all the time. Kanan, Dario, sometimes... This is here in ten, Indy. Yeah, in yeah, Indy. Sometimes ten people will come up and ask Kanan for his autograph for a picture. Yeah. And then he'll say, what about Dario? And they went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got no right. idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll see what happens with New Garden because he's he's absolutely what IndyCar could live on for 20 years. Yeah. Personality. Have you guys talked to him yet? No, we're trying to get him in a couple of weeks. We're not sure if it'll happen. He's he's kind of got that Penske PR chip in him a little bit. He's not quite the just say whatever you come to his mind. Right. But he's not. He's 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 so good with the fans and the yep. media, and I mean he's a hell of a race driver and he's American. So yeah. All right. Well, we got we got to know what did you drive in here? What did I well, your, drive? Your daily driver. What what brought you to this restaurant? Um, Ford Escape. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Right on. Yeah. Ford Escape, brother. That's no, I'm good. <laughs> what year? Uh, I don't know. It's a lease. <laughs> 2015. Or I don't know. Fair, fair enough. You guys are fair car enough. guy. Fair enough. My fair first re my first I had a '62 Ford Galaxy and I killed it, and then I had a Mustang. Okay. Fa oh, when the Mustang first came out, yeah. Uh, yeah. just fast yeah. back, they were cool. Yeah. Then I bought a Lotus Europa because huh. it looked so cool, yeah. but it had a Renault engine. And yeah. It was awful. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I was pretty good buddies with Art Pollard, and he broke his leg at Indy in '72 after he qualified. The hub broke and he crashed going into three. So I was always we always we'd play basketball together and we'd go to dinner and play poker once a week at his house and. I was always saying, God, you know, I want to be a race driver. And he's like, we'll sell that sports car and I'll get you, uh, we'll go get a car. Where, do we, where would we do that? He goes, we'll go to Grand Italy. He's got cars. He'll sell you one. So that's when Formula Fords were just uh, starting. Okay. Right. 69, 70, 71. Formula Fords were really starting. So I borrowed three or $4,000 from my banker for a new car, but didn't tell him it was a race car. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Not I, eventually I told him. Yeah. So we went to Granitelli's, and Vince wa and Andy wasn't there, but Vince was there. Yeah. And all here's all the Novi's under plastic. Yeah. And all the all every STP car, and here's this little Formula Ford painted up day glow orange. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I uh, 
I was just like mesmerized. And that, to show you, this is the first lesson in race. If I wrote a book, uh, Floyd always says, when are you gonna write a book, Poison? I said, when you're dead. <laughs> Why? Because I said, if I write it now, you'll kill me. So if it's I was gonna argument. write, if yeah, I yeah. was gonna write a book, it would be about how probably not to go racing. Sure. Because I was so mechanically inept, I should have never been allowed to own my own car. Sure. And the the, the trailer I rented to go pick up my Formula Ford was a, a U-Haul trailer. Okay. For, that would have fit a Shetland pony in it, but not a race <laughs> but car. But not a race right. car. Sure, sure. So I get up there and they got to take the wheels off and get a they get a. Or, you know, they got oh, to, to, they they to, to sit it in, in sideways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so that was the, the start, and I'm like. Well, the, the other thing I heard in, in what you're describing is that you took a loan to buy your first race car. Yeah. So you're already in the hole before oh, you've yeah, ever done three, a lap. $3,500 yeah, yeah. in debt. Yeah. And then, you know, Ryan, because I think SEC, do they have driver schools? Do, they have, do you have to go to a driver school in the SCCA? Or? Yeah, I mean, you still do that if you want to go that route. It's not the only way to get a license or so whatever. Not, but, in this, yeah. in yeah. 72, you had to go to driver school. Right. Two right. driver school races. Yeah. Or two driver schools. And yeah. the second one, you had a race. Exactly right. So yeah, we yeah. went to Watkins Glen. I, r I worked at the start of midnight, drove to Watkins Glen, walked the track because I saw somebody do it and winning. Yeah, you got to do it. You got to yeah, walk yeah, the yeah, track. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So <laughs> Have you seen Driven? <laughs> yeah, Drivel. <laughs> so we, my, I had a guy with me that was a drag racer. Didn't know him, He was a good mechanic. And uh, so they ran the Formula Fords, the Formula Super Vs, the Formula A, Bs, and Cs together. Yeah. Okay. There was like 60 of us. Get it out there. Yeah. And got, you know, Formula yeah, A, yeah. Bs, and Cs had wings. They had the big wings. And here you are in just this so, baseline. And there was an instructor, and he took we did, We ran the short course, yeah. but it's Watkins Glen. Right. Who yeah. cares? It's big just, deal. So we're following this guy for the first half hour. He's showing us the line and all that. And then he just turned us loose for an hour, and we get to run around for a whole hour. Right. Run, That's crazy. And, yeah. so, and then we're done. So the next day, we're lining up for, the, for our first race ever, and I had my car number 40 because that was Art Pollard's number, and I was 40 CD, Central Division. And I'm walk and so my buddy's pushing me. He goes, "Hey, before we push this thing, let's find out where we're starting." I, you know, there's only two of us. So I asked the guy. I said, "Hey, where's 40 CD starting?" He goes, uh, "You're on the pole." I said, "Of a race?" <laughs> he goes, "Yeah." I go, For "The Formula Ford is on the pole of of the race with the Formula A and B and C." Group. Right. Yeah, you had the fastest practice lap, so you're on the pole. <laughs> so they didn't tell us what we did. Right. So I'm thinking. So I got a four-speed Hewlin gearbox. Yep. This is step two in how I should have never been allowed to have my old car. So I have a, <laughs> do you, I don't know if you, what you guys did, right? We had to have a false flying start because nobody ever had a, fly, yeah. had a yeah, flying yeah, start. Yeah, absolutely. And then about, you get to the top of the hill at Watkins Glen, right. you and go up the S's, the and there's a yellow flag, yep. and everybody uh, slows slow down and picks yeah. up. <laughs> so I take off. And by the time I get to the top of the hill, I can't even see this guy that started next to me. He was sitting on a phone book. That's how good this guy was <laughs> right. in a Formula A car. He had probably right. had 200 wow. more horsepower than I did. Right. Yeah. So I'm slowing down, waiting on everybody, and I'm thinking, I'll be in Formula One in two years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As he will. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, yeah, no, right, I'm a yeah. natural. This yeah. is un absolutely. I had no idea it was this good. You've yep. had two hours of school. You're so good. when yeah. we start the real race, <laughs> instead of leaving it in second gear like I had, I put it in third, and it goes, Bleh, you know, 1,600 right, right. formers, yeah, Ford yeah. engine. Bleh. So about six guys pass me, and a guy hits me as we turn into one, drives me up the bank, breaks the car in half right behind the roll bar, Ugh. and all the fuel's running down the track, and I'm sitting next to it on the track like this because <laughs> I've gone from Formula One to out of racing in like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, my buddy took a wheel hammer and beat the guy that, 
they crashed me, beat beat the nose off his Formula Ford and was going to kill him. So they gave me my license, and I ran. So then you got a license. Yeah, yeah the guy said, look, it wasn't your fault. Here's your license. So I remember the turn. first national race I went to was at Mid-Ohio. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there was a guy named Dave Wiesenhoff at Mid-Ohio that was the badass of all time in the Formula Ford. Right. But that day... Gordon Smiley pulled in, sure. and he had a double-deck trailer. Yeah. He had a backup car. Right. That's and I drove all night, and I'm sleeping in my little exactly right. yeah. 69 van looking at this going. And those guys were so fast in the race. You know, you're thinking, God, I know they've been doing this, but there's, I got a lot to learn. So every day I had lunch down here on 16th Street okay. at the Beverage Inn with Bill Vukovic, Gary <laughs> Bentonhausen, Johnny Parsons. We hung out together every day, and they kept saying, if you, want to, if you want to learn how to drive race cars, get rid of that squat to pee formula car and go get a mid-year sprint car and learn how to drive a race car. Yeah. Pussy. <laughs> right. uh, so I did. So okay. I got rid of it, and I uh, went to Gary, Gary Bettenhausen. I, I know I've been covering him for five years in the paper. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he is already Gary Bettenhausen. Yeah, so well, this they're is, both. You do what he and says, Buki yeah. was tough. Yeah, yeah. So, so Merle, his brother that lost his arm at Michigan, yeah. made his comeback in this little midget and was actually really good with Probably better with one arm than two. Won some races. But when Gary got hurt at Syracuse in 74, he was just got out of the hospital when I bought the car from him. And I bought it for five grand with an engine, a midget. Today's midget engines cost $47,000. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the purses are all the same. So I bought, <laughs> I bought Merle's midget, and I started racing USAC. Now, this, is, this is just shows you how clueless I was. Because when I started in 75... Everybody at the Indy 500 still race midgets and sprint cars. So, you know, I went to Kokomo. I think my first race was a half mile at Champaign, Illinois, and I made the feature because there was only 22 cars, so I ran all night. and It was an experience, but, you know, I didn't crash. So then the next race was Kokomo, and Gary was there and Merle, and they were going to help me, and I made the feature. And there was like 12 guys from that year's Indy 500 out of 20 in the feature. So I'm in the feature. And I was doing okay, and you know, I ran all night, and and so after the race was over, Gary came down, you know, holding his arm, and he goes, "You might be able to do this." I said, "Thanks, schmuck." He goes, "No, he goes, you did. He goes, you never been on the dirt other than the champagne. You, he goes, you did a really nice job." I said, "Thanks." So, four days later, we go to Raceway Park, and I, I now missed, at this point, how big show. is your head? No, no, <laughs> okay, back I, in the five. Believe yeah. me, yeah. no, no, <laughs> okay, no, no. But you're thinking, you know, when you start, you want to just. You don't. These guys do this for a living. You yeah. don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to hurt yourself. You yeah. want to get laps. Yeah. You want to get their respect so they they just feel comfortable running next yeah, to you. That's sure, all you sure. want when you start. So we go to Raceway Park. I missed a show, and I'm sitting on my trailer, look, feeling sorry for myself after racing. The Gary comes in afterwards. He goes, "Take my name off that car." I said, "What?" He goes, "Take my name off your car." I said, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "You look like a candy ass out there tonight. You're an embarrassment <laughs> to racing. I don't want my name associated with you." I said. <laughs> <laughs> Four days ago, you said I had a chance. I was wrong. <laughs> so that cool. It was, it was, I wasn't <laughs> feeling bad already. No, what was great is that you had Gary was the leader. Yeah. Merle's the second oldest brother. Tony's the third. And Tony yeah. started racing midgets when I did because he okay. came from stock cars. Sure. So we, I was like the fourth. I was the adopted Benton House yeah. brother, and I okay. got yelled at just like Tony. <laughs> just like right. every other brother. Merle, sure. You dumbass. Yeah. And <laughs> so it was. Uh, it was. The greatest time, I mean, I raced from 75 to 82 in USAC. Yeah. And 
Um, and this was just to do it. I mean, there were no real aspirations of going no, because I yeah. still I didn't quit my job at the Star because yeah. you know your biggest payday is eighty dollars sometimes yeah. and stuff like <laughs> right. that. But it taught me so much about racing and about competition and slide jobs and who's right and who's wrong. And when you watch right. a crash on a track, you know you have. But I got so, you know, I, I had some good moments, but I did so many stupid things in a race car. I mean, some of the things I did. But anyway. Such as? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're here. We got all day. We're at Kokomo one night, and I'm going to start on the outside of the front row, and it's a doubleheader, and there's some guy in front of me that just started racing. I, was, I said, I don't want to be behind him when the green flag drops for hot laps. Sure. So I went smoking around him, and it was real slimy. So it snapped in, backed into the wall just so they dropped the green, and a guy... I, I knocked, I, I shortened it two feet on the back, bounced out on the track, and the guy hit me head on, so my midget was nice. about this long. Okay. And I get out of the car, and I'm sitting on the track, holding my head, about knock, I think it did knock me out for a minute. I'm just sitting there trying to get my bearings, and I kept asking everybody, what happened? Oh, you know, you, you were a dumbass. You crashed <laughs> before the green came out. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then uh, there was a guy named Bill Finley. Yeah. Who's like my second dad? He built Indy cars in his garage over here on the west side of town. Okay. He would lay out a car with a piece of chalk like concrete, or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. and he built a car and it made the Indy 500 like a lot. That's yeah. incredible. And like he was today. amazing. Yeah, yeah just like they're today. doing yeah. that down the street. So yeah. 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 he adopted me, and he's like, so I, I, I was stu I was the vent guy on the pit stops for his Indy car team. Oh, cool. for a, okay. two, it was a milk carton and a hose, yeah. and when the fuel came up in the milk carton you tapped the guy in the fuel and he pulled out and then you took the vent thing up yeah, nobody sure. had fireproof no we never set anybody on fire yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there was no safety or anything but yeah, nobody fact, nobody knew it took yeah. long enough you had time to smoke well <laughs> yeah, exactly. they had oh yeah. they smoked all the time <laughs> so i was trying to you know i was trying to do everything i could to learn about racing and so he told me once i almost cut my hand off on the bandsaw and he said don't take this the wrong way, but you're the dumbest son of a bitch I've ever met in my life, <laughs> mechanically. You might be able to write a story, but you are hopeless. Don't touch anything. Yeah. Just go over there and sit in the corner. Yeah. Go bring me some right. donuts and coffee. You're not touching your car. Yeah. You're not touching my car. So when I worked to work for Lloyd Ruby one summer, Rube was, he was the classic. And he liked to drink all the time. <laughs> and one night in Michigan, uh, he had something that happened, so they the, they had to pull the gearbox out in the in the rear suspension. So I'm sitting there handing the guy tools that's working on it, and Rube comes staggering in about 11 o'clock. He's been drinking all night, and he but he he was sober enough to look at me. and He goes, "Robin's not supposed to touch a car." I go, "Relax, Rube. I'm just passing him the wrenches, okay?" Yeah, right, yeah. right. And the next day he finished third, and I said, "See, you had nothing to worry about." Yeah, all you. But it is amazing how cool it was in the 60s, 70s. And even early 80s, yeah. every team had three or four guys max, yeah. Yeah. and they all could do. They could fabricate. They could. They could do right. all this right. great stuff. And to be in that era, it was like I was. I was so lucky because I was also in the right era in the newspaper business. I started at the Star when I was 18, yeah. and it was hot type, and there was five editions a night, and right. you hand wrote the headlines, and you put it in. You know, they had. They had real type that was hot right, type, and you right. laid it in the paper. And so, you know, to think that I started covering racing when I was 18, and then I, and then five, five or six years later, the guys I'm writing about, I'm racing with, yeah. and then I get to do that till I was almost bankrupt. Was money management was not one of my strengths, but sure. I, I'd never trade anything. The, probably the only thing I'd do different is I'd 
I got some pretty good sponsors. I'd have given somebody money and driven for them, and then uh, just showed up just at the track instead. Of money, but yeah, yeah. because because of the things that you do and you learn, I mean, I learned the hard way about everything. Yeah. It still teaches us some pretty good lessons, you know right. what I mean? But, you know, Ryan from racing is, there's nothing, I can't, I, I, tell, I had Montoya set up for a sprint car school when he was a rookie and Ganassi found out and went nuts and wouldn't let him do it. <laughs> but I wonder why. if you ever get a chance to race on the dirt, yeah. do it because yeah. you will never, there, I, I can't even begin to, and people look at you like, oh, yeah, okay, you have had some concussions. You're yeah. a moron. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing like a half-mile dirt track that's got a cushion, right. and yeah. you can run almost wide open. I mean, it's the most exhilarating, as good as, as much fun as you've had racing. and uh, Everybody has fun, and I just wish everybody that really took it serious could go out and run a, 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 a dirt, because yeah. I've been trying to get an IndyCar guy at the Chili Bowl for the last three or four right. years. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. they're not going to do any good, but they're going to get the experience. Get to yeah. I had Newgarden, Brian Clawson had it all set up for Joseph Newgarden yeah. to do it, and then it was going to cost IndyCar ten grand, and they passed on it because <sighs> they said, that's not really our audience. I said, yeah, it's only 15,000 open-wheel fans. Right. That's not really yeah. your audience. Yeah. It's it's a it's a bunch of people that love open wheel racing. Yeah, never watch an IndyCar that? race. That is literally all that's that, left. Exactly. Yeah, so. How many days? How many nights in a row is the Chili Bowl? They seven. run like seven nights in a row. And the place you is gotta, packed you every got, night. You guys got to go there. Oh, yeah. we want to. We actually want to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, talk to Rico. Yeah, get yeah. Rico, and I mean he's the best. Yeah, and. And the guy and, and and the guys that put the race on are geniuses. I mean, yeah. they they know how to prepare a dirt track. That's what's probably the, in my lifetime the worst thing that's happened is what's happened to dirt tracks, at least in the Midwest. Yeah. If anybody, if you believe in fate or somebody looking out for you, somebody had to look out for my dumb ass. Or, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, Jesus. But you know, the thing I think that's so cool is is that it's the people and the memories that you have, and you've you're making them right now, racing. Yeah. But it's in those days, we all went down the road, you know, we all yeah. had open-wheel trailers, and we didn't have any money, and yeah. nobody cared. Right. Yeah. We, right. Nobody cared. It was just, what could you do to get to the next race? Right. And I was so far in debt when I quit. Well, yeah, so yeah. According, <laughs> according to the very reliable news source that we use known as Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> it, it cited one of the reasons you stopped driving as, quote, massive debt. How, how bad was it? $170,000. In the, in the early 80s. In 1982. Holy shit. And I was probably okay. making 30 at the star, 35. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you and I was gambling on football a lot. So okay. pretty much uh, financial. But my biggest mistake was Tom Sneeva used to say, he'd go with me to some races and stuff, yeah. and he'd say, everybody else has a Volkswagen. Why do you still have a Chevy 2? <laughs> I said, because Chevy 2 is going to rule again someday. I don't know why I had that thought, but <laughs> and then, so I started buying aluminum heads for anybody else did, and they kept yeah. blowing up. And I get, I, I, that's why I got so far in debt. I kept replacing the engines. Okay. And I had a guy that used to work for Roger, that built the engine that Mark Donnie, who won the '72 oh, 500 in, he uh -huh. went from working for Roger Penske to helping me. And one day he says, "You want to know how far I've fallen? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone from Roger Penske to helping your sorry ass." <laughs> right. His name was Walter Oliver Howell Jr., but his nickname was Davy Crockett. And he was a genius about engines. Sure. And he... Just not to get, here's a good Here's another great... Do you, ever, do you work on your own car, Ryan? I, I started as a mechanic, actually. Damn. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, Crockett builds this killer motor for me. We're going to go to Little Springfield, this great little bull ring half mile, and quarter mile. And I run all night and run eighth or ninth, and pretty good night for me, and come home. And, I'm, and he wants to go through, he wants to refresh, whatever. So I come back the next day and there's a clothes hanger on my cage 
with a three-quarter inch drive hang socket hanging on it. And there's a note attached and it says, usually the sockets go in the toolbox, not your injectors, you oh. idiot. Oh. Oh, somehow, <laughs> somehow this thing rattled around and yeah, never yeah. got sucked into the engine right. all night. And oh, he's like, wow. you are so lucky. You know what kind of damage that would have? But right. that's what I'm saying. Out the side it's like, it. <laughs> I put my own, I didn't have anybody to help me once, so Johnny Parsons, who was equally as stupid about race cars as I was, he was just a hell of a driver. <laughs> we put my own head gasket on once, and we put it on upside down. Solid. Okay. And that was the night we left the the bolt in the the, the, the socket in the injector. But when I was taking my Army physical go to, to go to Vietnam, I flunked the mechanical part, and the guy calls me in, and they sent me in a little room, and the guy says, listen, pal, we see guys like you in here every day. And I said, uh, I don't follow you, sir. He goes, if you think flunking the mechanical part is going to get you out of Vietnam, you're wrong. And I said, right. I, I didn't know I flunked the mechanical part, but it doesn't. I had misidentified a crescent wrench. I didn't know oh, a crescent wow. wrench. And they're like, they, they'd bring another guy in and they're interrogating. It's like, I didn't do it on purpose. I was just stupid. But that's why, like, uh, you guys had Marshall on your show. Yeah. He was an engineer and yep. a mechanic. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah. understands. I mean, he'll go, hey, this guy changed this and this. I'm like, I, I don't know. Sure. Right. I don't know. Right, right. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, just go down there and look. I said, I, what? Yeah. You know, it's like before the race one time, this year on NBC, I was trying to figure out who was running which kind of downforce. I was at Texas and stuff. And I'm standing behind the cars looking at him. And Kanan walks in and he goes, what the f*** are you looking at? And I said, I don't know, but it looks like I know what I'm looking at, doesn't he? He goes, no, you don't look like you're looking at it. Oh. Like, That's the grandstands. Well, this is the car. He goes, <laughs> I said, I'm cart. just trying to figure out who's got, he goes, Pinsky has no downforce. Go look at his wings and then look at some of these Hondas, okay? Okay. So I learned a little. But, <laughs> but it looks like I know. 2017. I think what's cool about racing is, is how many people get involved, whether they're mechanics, yeah. drivers. Yeah. How about the people that flag? How about the people yeah. Yeah. that Absolutely. how about the people that take tickets or their ushers? Yeah. They just want to be part. And if it wasn't for them, we could you couldn't have a race because right. there'd be chaos. Right. Well, yeah. not all races would have chaos. Some don't have enough crowd to have chaos. But, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, we, we come from sports cars, so we know that. Yeah, yeah a lot so. of chaos and fans. Um, <laughs> the we, we sat down with Doug Wells last night, and he said, what was the amount of people that goes from 150 full-time to, to 5,000 5, for the, for the month, to yeah. make the 500 You just think happen? about the yellow shirts there. Yeah. yeah. Minimum yeah. wage, and there's probably 3,500 of them. Yeah. yeah. Be more yeah. than that. It's incredible. But it's. And it's, it's really only anymore. You only need it on carb day and race day. You used to need it on pole day, bump day. Yeah. Well, yeah. you needed it. You needed it the, the day before practice, the the practice before pole day. You needed it pole day. You needed it bump day. Yeah. yeah. And then you needed it, you know, carb day and race day. So five days were huge. Right. Yeah. Now it's just two. You can make Indy two days of practice, qualify, have the parade. Go race, yeah. right? And it would save everybody a shitload. Let's of say, money. would you be okay sure. with that? I mean, with the heritage of absolutely, okay. because yeah. all the heritage was when Tony George f***ed up Indy car racing forever, and the Indy 500, it'll never recover. And the problem is, is that Bobby Rahal said people got out of the habit of doing what they'd done all those years, going to practice, going to qualifying, going to they quit, they didn't come back. And what's really kind of come back lately is. Race day's not bad, but there was a whole bunch of empty seats last year. If you, all you got to do is look at the aerial shots, boys, and then you're like, wow, there's probably 25,000 empty seats last year. So they still had 225,000 people. That's still the biggest, no, no doubt about it. But it's so tough to remember when bump day was the cool, bump day was the cruelest and coolest day of all time because 
Dreams are made. Five guys broken. going for 33, and a guy yeah. hands his mechanic his keys and his wallet and says, yeah. if I don't make it back, eat these to my old lady. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, that was it. You yeah. know, Rich Vogler, Jerry Sneva, Bob Harkey, Eldon Rasmussen, Tom Bigelow, guys like that, they lived for the last 30 minutes of May. Yeah. And it was the greatest. You know, I mean, think about it. Penske dominates in 94 and misses the show in 95. Yeah. There was probably 40,000 people on bump day, yeah. and half of them were cheering for Penske to miss the show, and half yeah. of them were cheering for <laughs> Allen yeah. Jr. and Fittipaldi to make, to make yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the most amazing. So when you throw all that away, and you've thrown away the tradition of when, when Tony said he was going to save 25 spots for 33 cars, that was that was the end of the hunt because you you completely you just eroded all those years of guys busting their ass and getting killed to make the race, and taking away that this this emotional phenomenal day that was Bump Day, and you know Cart deserves almost as much blame because they were arrogant to a fault. They didn't really embrace him like they probably should have. Dale Coyne said that a long time ago. You know, we could have been a lot smarter with, with probably how we... And Tony would go to the cart meetings and never say anything. Right. And then he'd go out in the parking lot and bitch. Right. Because Tony right, Bentonhausen right. was one of my best friends, and he was in the meetings. He'd, yeah. he'd say to Tony, why don't you say that in front of everybody? But I think Tony was intimidated. Now, presumably and, and most of our audience knows who you're talking about, but when you're talking about Tony and Tony, Tony you're talking about Tony, Tony George, George versus Tony Bentonhausen. Who was right, 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 right. That's for right. our audience, not, not uh, us. But, but if Tony George would have started the Indy Racing League in 1988 it, and stuck to his guns. Anybody can build an engine. Anybody can build a car. It could have worked because cart was at loggerheads. It was the, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. It could have worked. Right. But he couldn't have picked a worse time to start the IRL. Yeah. Cart was at the pinnacle. We yeah. had Nigel Mansell. We had right the biggest exactly. crowds, the yeah. most sponsorship, 28 fully funded cars. Right. Nine Americans, and all they brought was their helmets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You paid. couldn't drive into Elkhart Lake or Mid Ohio or Laguna. You had to leave at six in the morning to get into Phoenix, for God's sake, because yeah. there were so many people. Right. So what happened? They split it up. The IRL started going to tracks like Phoenix, and it started instead of drawing sixty-four thousand, they were drawing sixty-four hundred. Right. And then, then Milwaukee hung on for a while. Montoya's, there was big crowds there up till two thousand, two thousand one. Then. Penske and Ganassi and, and everybody starts yeah. leaving cart. Yeah. So then Champ Car is a shell of what cart was. And you're, you've confused the fans. You've pissed them off. The people in Milwaukee aren't getting to watch the guys that were in the Indy 500 a week after the race. So right. they quit going. Right. And it, the whole thing collapsed. And Tony had no, Tony never had anybody, he never had a lieutenant or a right-hand man that told him the truth about what was good for racing. Right. It was what was good for them. And, and Tony, I think he almost kind of admitted it. We did a radio show a few years ago together, and it was a little tense, but it was That's interesting. Are you and him okay? Well, uh, we say hi to each other. Okay, I give sure. him a sweatshirt every year. Yeah, I mean. Good. No, that's a start. That's a start. That's a start. It's, I don't think Tony's heart was in the wrong place. I just think his brain was because right. he didn't have the right people helping him. And so France convinced him that he'd be his ally. Well, of course, yeah, as soon course. as they broke away, Divide and, and, they, and you start going to Homestead and all right. these mile and a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. and for a while it worked because those those races were part of the NASCAR package. And when NASCAR right. was on top of the world, you had to buy the IndyCar race. To uh, go. Yeah. That's yeah, why yeah, Chicago yeah. had pretty good crowds. Yeah. Texas yeah. had really good crowds. Yeah. Well, then when they took the IndyCar race out of the package, yeah. you yeah. know, attendance. Yeah. So it's, it's irreparable because it's, you know, we struggle to get 33 cars every May. 
We're going to have 21 or 22 next year. I don't know how anybody can afford to go Indy car racing. You, it's worse than sports car racing. It's worse than misery. You can't make any money. You can't break it. Your tire bill for the month of May, if you run all the times, half of what the purse pays. I asked Richard. I asked Richard Childress once. I said, Jesus Christ, Childress, you got Chevrolets. You got millions of dollars. Why don't you come run the Indy 500? He goes. Why would I want to spend a million dollars to run for two hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah. That's probably why you're rich and I'm poor. Yeah. But that's the problem. Yeah. Right. These, right. Like these guys, these one-off guys, yeah. they get two hundred and five thousand dollars for whatever they run at Indy. Right. Yeah. Uh, Matt Brabham ran twenty-second in his rookie year and got he got two two hundred thousand and ten, fifteen or twenty dollars like that. Next race he went to. Next week he went to Detroit and won Robbie Gordon's truck race. He made more race for the truck, more money for the truck race than he made at Indy because okay. right. he got a yeah. little tiny bit of money, and and a two hundred thousand dollar check is so embarrassing. The purse yeah. is so embarrassing at Indy, and I've beat on him. And I've, I mean, Miles even admits it is embarrassing. Well, sell it, sell it to Bud, make it the Budweiser Indy five hundred. Yeah, Who right. cares? Every right. other tradition's gone right. because it. You know, I was talking to, to Ricardo Yunkos has got a really cool yeah. shop yeah, right around here. And I, I said, how are you going to pull this off? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I mean, he's gung-ho about yeah. racing. So he, it's, it's guys like that that will probably keep it going because a really pragmatic businessman would look at this and go, this is the, it's the inverted pyramid of, of, yeah. of money. It's, it's right. insane. Right. Right. That's why if they made India a week, it would save everybody yeah, so, so much, much money. money. Sure. And no one would give a shit. Nobody right. cares. Right. Nobody cares. Because right. you. You know, who's in our parade now? Did they dig up? Did they dig up Florence? They, who, who the God knows is in the parade? <laughs> right, they get, right, right. We don't get C listers. We get double F listers. Oh yeah, we're now getting. Oh like hey, this guy was retired on a, wrestlers. Could we do it? Could you we do guys it? could <laughs> do it. Yeah. All right. I yeah. think you should yeah, have yeah. your. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm all in. But you know what? It's like, okay, they the, the, the paper says 250,000 people at the parade. There's 22,000 seats. Uh, uh, copy. Uh, yeah. Really? What are we doing? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. you guys are so young, but what got me involved? Well, I am. Yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, we do it? What Should we do it? What, how old do you think, How old do you think I am? I'm just curious. Uh, 36. Oh, Okay, 38. All right. Uh, yeah. uh, did you Ryan's guess? Did you probably 34, 33. 33? 33? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, I used well, to be a wow. carny at the state fair. Okay. <laughs> uh, Gossage. And then, uh, and then last night, Bowles both thought I was late forties, closer to their age. Yeah. Did you smack them. Nah, <laughs> no, I like my job. I'm good. Right. Okay. You like the podcast job? Yeah, I love this podcast. Yeah, I love this podcast. <laughs> so we're yeah. making so much money. There's Ed Carpenter, the boys. Now, what are they carrying back here? That's Ed Carpenter and Matt well, Curry is engineer. Aren't they? And, that's, the and that's Alan McDonald. Oh, I bet he's going to hire Alan McDonald. Let's have some fun with him. Okay. When well, they come by here. Yeah. So this Alan McDonald happen. just got, he just parted ways with Smith, Smith Peterson Motorsports. Yeah. And. Um, no, you can do it. Yeah. I love it this. Is. This, is, this is real reporting at work. They're going to hey. come in. Ed! Who's the, who's the old guy standing next to you? That's <laughs> Ed Carpenter. Hi, Alan! He's been we got a picture. It's too late. We got a picture. <laughs> <laughs> there's how you hire, uh, how you hire somebody in the cool. cloak of, day, of daytime. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You see Ed Ed's laughing his butt off. Little did he know. Yeah, yeah he's going to come and be like, oh, you oh, too again. He was on with us last year. Yeah. had no idea what he was walking yeah. into yeah. why he was yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Ed's got a great sense no, of humor. No, he's cool. He's he's, cool. Ed is a good dude. He spent the entire time holding a knife. 
and, and tapping just, just like yeah, watching what us. now yeah what now we're like, uh, yeah yeah literally amazing. just oh, sitting here like intimidation like, oh that kind of yeah, knife it was not the not no, yeah, but <laughs> still just like not, deadpan not the aj foyt knife no 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 but it's just like what i was gonna say is when i grew up watching herdebees and parnelli and foyt and mccluskey at Terre Haute sideways in a sprint car and you could see him working it well you can't see the drivers anymore can you and you and, you, and the cars as hard as a guy drives into the corner at Indy, it still looks like they're, you know, it, yeah, right, it right. doesn't trans, television doesn't, it doesn't do it transform. justice. Yeah. And just standing there watching doesn't do it justice because you're kind of like, I mean, think about how fast they go into turn one at Indy now. It's, it's, and you go to Phoenix and you're like, this is insane how, you know, there's no reaction time, which is kind of what you want to see. This is what Rick Mears has been trying to tell everybody for the last 20 years. More horsepower, less downforce. Get out of the throttle, getting into the corner. Right. Use the three-two-one markers yeah. again. Have to, have, to, have to roll it in versus yes. just pinning it all the way around. Right. Yeah. Rick, I asked Will Power a few years ago. I said, Will, I said, you ever notice those signs on the fence? What do you mean? I go three-two-one. He goes, Yeah, not really. I go, that used to be how guys go into turn one here, three-two-one. I said, the real brave guys would get in between one and two before they backed out. And, Will said, I wish it was like that now. He's a, he advocates the same thing. Because if you do that, it, it does favor the driver. It, it, it does exactly. favor guys it, it, that can actually. The skill set has to be whatever increased. It's, it, yeah. it, if it's feathering the throttle or just touching the brake or whatever it is. But that's, and that's why, you know, I think, uh, like you guys said, when the new Penske would come out or the new McLaren or the new Eagle and you'd hear about it, there wasn't any. Social, you had to wait on speed sports, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And there wasn't any, you did, but what did it look like? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, was exactly. It you know, that, that, was, that was the kind of thing that you always hoped that was. I mean, the closest our generation came to and and was 1995 with the the new pushrod right. mark and all that, but like that was 1995. So unless you're over 30, you have no idea what the hell well, we're talking about. That's so. probably the biggest challenge I think. And IndyCar doesn't spend any money. I mean, they need to have a commercial like NASCAR had Matt Kenseth rescuing a kitten and Kyle Busch said, I'm not such a bad guy. And that yeah. it showed their personality. Because right. as you guys know from interviewing all these guys, there's a lot of personality yeah. in these yeah. car racing. It's just getting it out to the public and getting them to know who these guys are. Well, but that's also going to come with OEM support. And this, yep. is, this is always my thing because OEM money means OEM agencies who do this for a living and they know how to bring out personality and make content. But I see um, Chevrolet hasn't really ever, they've never really gone out of their way to have a yeah. commercial right. on these guys. Right. And Honda did for a long time. But they, right. And they still have... You know, like they had a commercial last year and it showed Ryan Hunter Ray walking through a shot or well, nobody knew who yeah. that yeah, was. Right. Exactly. Yeah, 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 sure. So you gotta you gotta this is who we this is who these people are. And that's why, you know, Ryan isn't Ryan's you know, he's closer to forty than thirty now and, and, and they passed and I, I mean he was a handsome American champion, but it didn't matter if it was a championship or indie, nobody he, they didn't promote him. Graham would be good because he's articulate and pretty funny and still only 26 or 7, I think. So there's there's just, there's a few guys that, I mean, Hinchcliffe's great. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, there's just, it's maddening because you see kids at, at racetracks and, and it's usually their dad has taken them, like our, dad, our dads took us. So, and you're like, okay, what is going to be the hook that make them want to come back? Is it noise? Is it speed? Like Sato and I were talking the other day. Sato says, we got to get these cars louder. 
And he's exactly right because that was part of the first time you ever heard a car. I, first, 1957, I'm standing in the Grand Front straightaway and the Novi comes down the straightaway at Indy and it rattles the chairs and I'm like, it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, the series that Sean and I are kind of talking about a lot is NHRA. They seem to be doing a really good job because they've got a lot of people coming. Obviously, their grandstands aren't as big, but they have a lot of people sitting in what they do have, and they've got big corporate sponsors that are going, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah let's, we're saying let's activate with let, these guys. Right, they're clear well, thing. So, and, I mean, and, Jesus, those guys haul every, ass, yeah. they're loud. And every yeah. kid has a toy or a hat or a something. Right. And, and the so. thing, and what IndyCar's got and what the NHRA got, they get this great access. You can walk right mm -hmm. up to the cars mm -hmm. and the drivers. That's what blows yeah. people away. I get to talk to, I was talking to Mario Andretti, or I was talking to yeah. Tony Kanan. I got my picture taken. IndyCar's always had that. They've always had that closeness. And yeah. NASCAR, you got to have, you know, Jeff Gordon used to have 10 state troopers right. around him and stuff. Yeah. And it's not easy to get up next to it. But the NHRA, when I worked at Speed and ESPN, but especially at Speed, we would always go cover the last, they'd always send me to the last two NHRA races, always Pomona, because yeah. that's usually running. And I was always impressed with how gracious they were and how accommodating sure i love to watch kyle bush race yeah. i just don't want to hear from him i mean <laughs> sure. jesus sure. christ yeah. i mean incredible what talent. a what i mean incredible talent i mean everything's well we didn't know. people get tired of that they're yeah. they pay a lot of money to watch these things and dale earnhardt jr will be really good on television yeah, i think will. i really do yeah. and he's a nice guy yeah. he really is he's a nice kid and kid, 40 years old. That's a kid to me. <laughs> but it's NASCAR's got a little bit of a identity. They, you know, Elliot's kid's not. Well, he's, he's young. He doesn't know yeah, how to he, find his he's, personality. But he's yeah. not. He's not. He's not one of those guys that you instantly warm up to. Sure. I mean, maybe he will be, but uh, and I don't know. I think they've got some challenges ahead with yeah, losing some of the guys they have. Yeah. And Stewart was, of course. He was a promoter's dream. Yeah. He was a sports writer's dream. It was yeah. every, I mean, he was, you know, he's just, uh, he should have been born. He was born way too, yeah. Yeah, way too era. late. He, he, he would have been yeah. perfect with sports so guys. If there was an anonymous story we could ask him about that didn't come from Robin Miller, what would it be? To bring anonymous up or a thing to ask him. Story. Legend has it. Yeah, story. legend has it that, that you did this. You know, like there's some legend has it with you that we'll get into in a minute. Like, is there one on Tony Stewart? Legends. Well, he used to have no quality control when it came to f***ing women, but at least he's <laughs> a little better now. He's, That's he's, actually... We, we had this yeah, discussion. Yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. He's actually gotten much better. As his yeah. latest okay. girlfriend is a doll baby, and she okay. doesn't take any s*** from him. Okay, Good. so... Okay. Well, ask, him, ask him about... He tested for Foyt, and I think he might have had the ride, but I think his agent at the time, Dan Laycock, asked for some ridiculous figure of money, and Foyt told him to pack sand. Yeah. I mean... How cool would that have been if he drove for Foyt? Especially the most yeah, Foyt-like guy in, yeah, right, yeah. in the community. But the other thing was is when John Menard hired him, only because John Menard's team begged him to, yeah. I went up to Menard in Orlando for the first IRL race. I said, this is the smartest thing you've ever done. He goes, what? I said, hiring Tony Stewart. Yeah. He's a real race driver. Yeah. And he goes, I don't like rookies. I just did it to help my team. We'll see. And then, of course, by the end of the season, yeah, he's like, best thing damn. Yeah, right, right. He's helped a lot of people that people don't know about. Yeah. There was a guy named Crocky Wright that was around for racing forever. Crocky Wright. Crocky Wright. And Tony Stewart, he was, later in his life, he didn't get, he didn't have anything. Tony gave him a house. That he will never pay for anything, wow. and raised okay. him, and in his in Columbus, yeah. and Crocky died a few years ago. All right, so the 
the stigma with us media PR types is uh, that Awful. we didn't make it as drivers no. and that we were completely not mechanically inclined, well, which, well. as you're now saying, is true, and I can attest to that as well. Um, the journalism side of you, is that something that you've always had a passion for, or is it just because you wanted to be in the scene and this seemed to be where you fell no, into? No, I was an editor of my high school newspaper, yeah. and I always thought my mom was a good writer. She just wrote short stories that are all the time. Sure. And she'd send them to Reader's Digest and get depressed because they didn't publish oh, right, them. And I right, said, right. Mom, they yeah. get a million stories a month. Yeah. So she, I got whatever modicum of talent I had was from her. Okay. And I always liked sports, but like when I was in high school, I looked like I was like just tall and weighed like 65 pounds. So I was a student <laughs> basketball manager. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, Is that uh, code for Towel Boy? That's probably code for Towel Boy. Right. Okay. And, yeah. and, at, but being around sports is all you ever, you know, you, yeah. all, you cared about Especially it. Especially here. But sure. probably uh, I was working at the Star answering score phones because that was, I'd flunked out of Ball State. <laughs> it's hard to flunk out of Ball State, by the way. Congratulations. Letterman. <laughs> Let, David Letterman and I worked on a radio show together when he got fired at 13 and I got fired at the Star the first time. And I was his afternoon drive sports guy. So I always kid him about I said, Ball State had, I said, having a degree from Ball State's not that big a deal. You got one. <laughs> <laughs> I did an interview with him the other, a couple years ago out in the pits. They, they were, we were killing time or something, and Letterman was standing there, and so we're bullshit. And I said, you miss TV? And he goes, no, I really don't. He goes, the only thing that bothers me about television is that you're on it and I'm not. <laughs> now, that, to me, was on the funniest, spontaneous lines yeah. of all time. And then this year, I'm doing a live shot in the pits, and he comes up and he tries to push me over the pit wall. And then later on, he goes, I didn't know you were on. I'm like, really? Why is it, you think there's a camera guy huh. there? Yeah. But he's, uh, so, but back to sports riding. Um, so if you're around it and... I really never got hired. I just, the, some of the boys would get drunk every night and they didn't come back one night. So I answered the phones and took little game reports and I just kind of stuck. And then when I got, when then I start, started bugging them, let me cover the, let me do sidebars on the Pacers and the Indy 500. I can do that. I can write. So the great thing about that was, is that every time the first year or so I'd turn in a story, they'd pass it around and they'd all laugh. they go, you're kidding, it's right? Kid, you think right? we're yeah, going to yeah, put yeah. this in the paper? <laughs> Are you stupid? <laughs> yeah. And that was a great tough love yeah right? yeah yeah and then uh yeah you today know, there'd be a meeting and so then a lawsuit exactly. oh yeah. And yeah yeah but then what really <laughs> helped i think what i really i love covering the pacers and college and high school basketball and football and semi-pro football team we had i was all great experiences but indy was indy indy car racing and midgets and sprints because i had a column 52 weeks a year about usac racing nice. for like a long time yeah. so i wrote about midgets and sprints and who was coming up and and the Star was pretty much the paper of record for, sure. The or it was pretty much the paper of record for racing. I right. mean, we covered every IndyCar race and half the sprint car and dirt car races. I mean, it was a big deal. Yeah. So that helped. And then I started racing. When I started racing myself, that, you know, I just think that all the combination of that made it so much more fun because I was in the. I was. I'm a, Larry Rice was my landlord, who was the co-rookie of the year with, with yeah. Rick Mears in 78, and yeah. possibly one of the most underrated race drivers of all time, and, and certainly the nicest guy of all time, and yeah. had a hell of a career at ESPN. He's my landlord. Chuck Gurney, who's a hell of a race driver, is living in the basement. Mark Alderson, 
who's a pretty good race driver, is living in the driveway in his motorhome. And Larry McCoy, who made the Indy 500 a couple of times, is living upstairs. It was like the YMCA. Yeah, And right. so I'm around these people all the time. I eat lunch with them. I live with them. I write about them. I race with them. It was just, it was the greatest. You couldn't have asked for anything better, I don't think. And you couldn't have gotten more insight about this is what happens. And, you know, so sometimes, you, you know, when you first start out, you write nice little glowing features and everybody likes you and stuff. Sure, and then sure. when you, I think the first time I really pissed racing people off is I wrote a story in 78 about what a joke the Speedway's purse was at a million dollars. <laughs> and it was the first time Bobby Unser ever. Or 2017. Ever, yeah. yeah, yeah right. I could take the same column. Yeah. And, and Bobby Unser, who had never spoke to me, calls me up. That's the greatest story I've ever read. <laughs> I love that story. How is it I didn't, how do I, how is it I don't know you, Rob? And I said, well, you usually walk by me, Unser, when I ask you a question, you, I don't, you don't have, pro and now do we're Do you do like, that impression all the time, by the way? Is that your no, trademark? Uh, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Uh, my buddy, Tim Coffeen, is, sounds just like Bobby Unser. Oh, okay. I okay. mean, that was a poor, but, but <laughs> like somewhere his, between Mickey Mouse and no, Bobby. No, no, I like he's, it. Yeah, yeah. he's, it's not, I get it. He's yeah, got, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, got yeah. two yeah. different distinctive ways to talk, but yeah. it's always, <laughs> It, it, it's 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 like you can't be serious. He, he's a grown man and he talks like that. Yeah. But there's only one of him, yeah. thankfully. Yeah. But just think about this is what I think about. Like I did a column last July 4th. I called Parnelli, Uncle Bobby, Mario, and Foyt on July 4th and talked to all four of them just to do a thing about how cool is it. I'm 67 years old at the time, and I can pick up the phone and call these guys that were my heroes that I wrote about that I argued with. That got that we had our moments to get, and I and we just talked about what was going on for ten for five or ten minutes, and I just said, you know, I'm really when they're gone, I'm really going to be I'm going to miss them because I miss, you know, having one of them call what's going on or just sitting there bullshitting with them about Uncle Bobby's, he's like a if he calls you and you see the 505 area code. And it's 10 till the hour you pick it up, because then you can always tell them at 5 o'clock you got a radio show to do. Uh, right, sure. But if it's 420, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to call him back. Right. Because it's 50 minutes you'll never You're get back. You're not going to get it back, yeah. I had a question about that race, Cindy. What Those people that officiate those races, what the hell is wrong with those people? And yeah, he's, yeah, got, yeah. he's just got this great, so he's... I can't tell you guys. I told you guys off the air what we're going to do to him this May. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it, it'll just, it's those characters and those talents that meant so much to a lot of us and always will and never be, they'll never be replaced because you can't replace guys that thought they were going to get, you know, Foyt never thought yeah. he was going to make it to 30, let alone 80. And right. Unser should have been killed five or six times. Mario's had some of the worst crashes and walked away from. Gurney never spent a night in the yeah, hospital. Sure. Parnelli never spent a night in the hospital. Yeah. Racing non-wing cages, sprint cars at Winchester and Salem. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's just to tie all yeah, that yeah, yeah. in to yeah, make somehow, it your career. Yeah. I mean, I've had the luckiest, greatest life. If I get run over by a truck leaving here, no regrets. Well, you'll, well you'll, this will be your last recording, so our ratings are going up. So we're good. We're good. Can I can I go off on you, Zach, here? You can do whatever you want. Pretty sure you can. Yeah. yeah. The floor is yours. I'm 80. I'm 60. 80. I'm almost 68 <laughs> years old. Okay. I started following USAC racing in the 50s. I started covering it in the late 60s. 
I raced in USAC. As a, I worked on USAC pit crews. I wrote 52 columns a year about, there are 52 weeks in a year, aren't there? 52 columns a year about USAC racing. Nobody's written more nice things or negative things about USAC. And here's what I can't imagine, boys. In 1970, United States Auto Club was the pinnacle of racing. If you were a USAC champ car, IndyCar driver, you were, you were the king. Right. That's, nobody even heard of a NASCAR. Nobody even sure. cared about sure. NASCAR. Actually, USAC stock car division was almost as good as NASCAR's then. Then you had the midgets and sprints. If you were a midget or sprint car badass, you were going to the Indy 500. 1971, Marlboro comes on board as the title sponsor. The Marlboro Championship Trail for a million dollars in 1971. Oh, now, wow. I mean, even today, that's And a all thing, Marlboro yeah. said was exclusivity. We don't want any, more, any competition from cigarettes. Come. No, not a problem. The next year, Viceroy shows up on Parnelli's car, <sighs> and Marlboro said, hey, see you later. Yeah. And there were, t there were actually decals made. IndyCar racing, the sport of the 70s. USAC, the sport of the 70s. And it should have been. And they should have ruled the world. So they lose Marlboro. They take the dirt car division in 1971 out of the champ car division. So instead of 28,000 people standing room only to get into the Hoosier Hunter to watch Foyt, Mario, the Unsers, and everybody's a badass race dirt cars, they take the dirt car races out of the champ car trail. So therefore, the corners no longer have to have a guy that's good on the dirt and pavement. Right which cuts the arms and legs off every sprint car midget yep. guy for the next 50 years. And now we can bring in European road racers. And no now we us. can bring in European road racers. Yeah. Then they ban rear-engine sprint cars because Tom Sneva hits his ass and wins a couple races in an old shit box. <laughs> and they ban rear-engine sprint cars. No, that's exactly why they did it. Yeah. And it's the phrase. And, and, yeah. and Sneva was a hell of a race driver. He sure. didn't, it just so happened he was really good on pavement. So in, a, in the course of four years, They've cut off their arms and their legs. Then they finally, at the end, in, in the late 90s, when Dan Gurney writes the white paper, I've got to send you guys the white paper. You could do a whole show on it. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. About <laughs> Absolutely. Because what he said in 1978 still rings true today. All we are is the Indy 500 and a bunch of little satellite races. Well, with the exception of Long Beach and Road America and Gateway, not too he's far not off. too far off. Yeah. What do you think about Mid-Ohio this year? Great on Sunday, yeah. but we need... The I, I, I like the weekend yeah. of everybody. Get her yeah, attention. I want it because yeah. I know you got to get going. And no, I don't have it. We got an hour. Here, All right, no, I'm just making sure. I don't want to. Oh, miss. <laughs> Young lady. Well, what else do you say? I can't believe that didn't work. I can't believe it didn't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so a bunch of satellite you, races basically. Right, right. But, no, but, yeah. Yeah. but the, the thing that's interesting about it is, is that USAC, so now, fast forward now, they're in every division, and you just told me, Ryan, I didn't know that. They're, they're involved in the world challenge, but they still have a badass sprint car. No Wings are for airplanes, not for sprint cars. <laughs> like they that. still have the best non-wing sprint car racing in the world, and there's no more pavement. They've killed the pavement divisions. There's no stock car division. The dirt cars are all dirt, and they've killed the pavement division and dirt cars where they used to have 50 cars. So they're hanging on by a thread, yet the racing's still phenomenal. Still phenomenal. So. USAC, I just, I, it, it is a four-letter word in my lifetime because you're just like, it could have been, it was, it was the pinnacle and it still could be. It could, you would, we might never heard of NASCAR if we did, if it, USAC would have just been, but here's the problem, boys, with 
all open wheel racing. We've never had a Bernie, and we've never had a Bill France senior or junior. We've had ambulance drivers. We've had guys that owned card shops. We've had guys that were in the Olympics. We've had guys that ran uh, a, sh uh, uh, a cruise line. We've had lawyers. We've had guys that couldn't speak English. We've had jack legs that you wouldn't hire at Mike's car wash. And we've never had a good leader and we've never had a guy that had any skin in the game, to quote Dan Gurney, that said, okay, we're going to do what's best five years out for everybody. We're going to look down the road. So Tony George is the only guy that ever had any real skin in the game because of the Speedway. But, of course, the motives and the execution was completely wrong, and I'm in favor of execution. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> I'm in favor of execution. God. I, I, that's it. All right, I'm uh, done. Where do you go? Why are you walking I'm away? Yeah, hey, 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 hang on, back. hang on. Yeah, edit two. Come <laughs> back. <laughs> okay, so we do a pass along yeah, question, and, and it's very related because you know you talk about you're you're with your heroes, but you're a journalist. Making enemies is unfortunately part of the short term game you have to play sometimes. Absolutely. So especially if you tell the truth. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we sat down with Doug Bowles last night, who is the president of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as you know, and uh, his he had three questions for you. Uh, I'm gonna ask. You can ask all three of them. I'm going to ask them in as, reverse order. As long I think as porn is not involved. Porn is not involved. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like I know where See, that's Ryan, going. Look at Ryan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He's all f***ed up now. He's like, ah. I well, that, that was my question. <laughs> yeah, that's like, okay, okay. So porn, right? <laughs> yeah. no. um, if the world was going to turn out the way it did, and we know then what we know now about everything, would you have been a supporter of the U.S. Grand Prix in 96, considering you now work with NBC Sports, which covers Formula One? Would I have been a supporter? Yeah. I wasn't necessarily a supporter of that race. I was a supporter of what it stood for and that CART was saying, okay, you don't, you think you're going to have the Indy 500 without us? We'll show you. Of course, then they had the worst crash in the history of the Michigan 500 yeah, to start the, US the race. 500, right. But they have 110,000 people, and the house is probably papered. Right. And it went away, thankfully, the next year. But I supported the fact that CART would not – the, the gun to the head mentality because Tony's whole Tony's whole card was their sponsors will make them run the Indy 500 they can't not be at Indy well they all none of them were and so was it the smartest thing Indy that card ever did probably not the smartest thing they should have done is gone to Phoenix and Orlando and kicked their ass and there would have never been an IRL because they'd have had every spot but to say that the thing, the thing that's interesting is, is that when I covered, I stayed here. I didn't. I stayed. I covered Indy like I always did, and I, I was on Tony George's ass on my radio show, my TV show, and in my column of the Star. All three of which I lost, incidentally, pretty much because of that. But I covered the the month of May just like I always had features columns it wasn't about the guys it wasn't there it was the guys were that were competing were just right. taking advantage yeah, of the situation it wasn't their yeah, fault yeah, yeah. and they weren't and they, a lot of some of the guys that were my friends became my enemies because they said you're always picking on the IRL and I said I'm not picking on the guys that have a business being there but the Tony Turcos and the racing gardeners and the jackoffs that were allowed to drive that race would just it, it was it was so it was so insulting to the guys that w had yeah. 
made that race. Or died trying yeah, guys to, get died their lives trying out. to yeah, make yeah, that yeah. race. Like yeah. my buddy Art Pollard, and you're just like, that was the most, for me, that was the most difficult month to watch because all these people that were fairly, I thought were fairly rational, were like, you don't like, you hate Indy, you should never be allowed back here. No, I love Indy, that's why, why I'm saying mad? what yeah. I'm saying. Yep. I'm telling you, this thing is fucked. <clears throat> Can we say that? Oh, yeah. We can say whatever you want. Uh, and it is because we have just driven a wedge in the greatest spectacle in racing, and you wait till next year because I was on 16th Street the night before the 1996 IRL 500, and Dave Cassidy, who was Tony George's real godfather, who was Tony Holman's right-hand man, had given me 400 tickets, all in double letters around the top of the, he had the, he had the best seats in the house, and he said, try and get rid of them for me. So I sold them for 500 bucks. I sold, total. I total? sold, yeah, I sold $15,000 worth of tickets for $500 or something wow. like that. So you only had $149,000 in debt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the scout, so no, I gave Cass the money, yeah. it was his. Okay. So, so the scalper said, this will never come back. This is it. And I'm thinking, okay, he's pissed because he's got a fistful of tickets, but he was right. Because in 95, I got four airline pilots, four seats, they said they don't care what they paid. They paid $1,500 a piece, and they sit in the front row of Paddock Penthouse. Next year, the next year, those same tickets were going for $20 on Georgetown Road, and nobody said, nobody bought them. Yeah, it's not empty. A, a guy I know went to, he had two Tower Terrace tickets in 96. He went up to a guy on Georgetown Road and says, I'll give you two Tower ticket, tower, two tower Terrace, easy for me to say, two Tower Terrace tickets for two tenderloins and two Cokes. And the guy said, give me the money. So all you need to know is the scalp and scalping, whether people think that's a good thing or not, this has got to do it. it. It's the fact that it was that, it, it, I don't care why it was that, it was the toughest ticket behind the Masters to get in 1995. The toughest ticket behind the Masters. And now nobody cares. And, you know, yeah, I'll go. Oh, I guess I can go. So that's a long answer to, to, that, to that question. But the most important thing to remember is, is that, I supported what carts do. And, and, and let me finish this up by saying, so here I, I lose my jobs and I support carts and I, I write a lot of positive things about how they should stick to their guns and don't let this guy push them around. And then what do they do? They all defect and go to Tony George and you got Roger Pinsky sitting with his arm around Tony talking about his vision. And he spent the whole 90s talking about what's this guy doing to us? So when you think that you're doing the right thing or that you're... yeah. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> so what you didn't see was as a gesture of frustration, <laughs> yeah. Robin threw his, uh, the, the, like the straw wrapper yeah, right, right, right into drink. Ryan's drink. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, there Ryan. you go. No, I was like, he got just over. a souvenir. So it's interesting who you think when you, and it's amazing. Yeah. What's, here's what's amazing. So the guys that hated me and, wrote, and wore, there was a, a guy had a stand on Georgetown Road that said, I hate Robin Miller. He had badges, he had hats and shirts. The whole thing. Yeah, and yeah, the whole thing like campaign, with the X through right? it. Okay. All those guys, and guys that were supposedly my friends right. that I'd written stories about, like John Barnes and his yeah, yeah, teams right. and Paul Dialovich and guys like that. All these guys mud-mouthing me every day and wearing those hats and telling them this guy's a pile of Well, then, when the IRL isn't the vision that everybody thought it was right. going to be, and suddenly they're all the cart teams come over here and these guys and are back out right back to and these was, guys are yeah. back on the street. Yeah. Then I'm their buddy again. <laughs> and then you've got all the guys like Pinsky, Ganassi, 
all the guys that were gung-ho cart and then they crossed over it's unbelievable it's like do you not think i remember this do you don't how i treated you or how you treated right. me do i just forget all this and and for whatever dense i mean i don't have a very high iq that's obvious so i have kind of let it roll i'm like well, you have to. I'm not going to. I'm, not gonna, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to sit here and just over and over again. Right. Like even in the mailbag, we finally got people kind of weaned off. We don't care. It's over. Yeah. It's, it's, nothing we can do about what, it. What's it's gone. What Fanner calls Cartganistan, like the guys yes. who just won't let yes. it yeah, go. Right, they right, won't. Right. Almost and ten it's years like, old. Listen. Now. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's too late. It's, right. Whatever's happened is this gone. This we have, and yeah. And yeah, the racing's been pretty good. And yeah, the Indy 500s. Certainly not the month of May anymore, but the race is pretty damn good. Yeah, so yeah. get over it. All right, so we have two more questions from Doug Bowles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second one was, what's your best Larry Rice story? I guess he's a big fan of Larry Rice. Larry Rice was my landlord, yeah, and he was a school teacher. So, I, and I gotta know because, like, from what you described, this is like a frat house at this point. There's guys in the basement. It's the YMCA, and, and then yeah, when yeah. the motorcycle guys came to town, they lived in our front room. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's like just like a. It, the regular house, it's the animal house. Just a, it animal was a, it was like a, a it was animal house. It yeah. had a basement. It had an upstairs, okay. and it had a couple bedrooms. Okay. And Chuck Gurney was actually hosing a policeman's wife, <laughs> and he lived in the basement. So the guy found out who he was. Okay. So Larry and I put signs up: Larry's room, Robin's room, Chuck's room. Okay. <laughs> so if the guy busted so, through the door, not you. he was going to go downstairs yeah, yeah, yeah. and kill the guy yeah, yeah, yeah. that had it right, coming to him. Right. <laughs> There's a million women out there. Couldn't you find somebody else? <laughs> Best Larry Rice story. He better. Okay. In 74, he was supposed to drive this toilet. <laughs> I mean, it was a toilet. And it, and it didn't show. And it didn't show. And, and Larry was the nicest, most polite guy. He was a school teacher, for God's sakes. He drove, started racing for his dad, driving his dad's midget, Old Blue. And it got to the point where he, he was every 10 steps. Hey, Larry, where's your car? So we made up a couple of signs. And I, I, I drew them up and, and hung them off his no, it's not here yet. I think it's in Ohio. <laughs> right. I hope it's here by the weekend. Thanks for caring. Right. So he had him on both sides, so yeah. he's wearing that yeah, thing just, around. There it is. There so it is. this thing finally shows up, and these guys, it was like the Robin Miller School of Mechanics. Nice. They didn't have an oil heater, and they didn't have a starter. Ooh. Hmm, how, how are you going to start this sure. ancient? Right. So <laughs> thankfully, it never made the track at Indy. It, it, they it, they ran out of time. Yeah. Yeah. So they took it to Milwaukee. Sure. Larry's going down the backstretch on the second hot lap, and the rear wing falls off. As it does. As, as it does, and pounds into the wall and kills the car. And we're driving back home from Milwaukee again, and he goes, I know this isn't a very nice thing to say, but I'm glad I killed that car. <laughs> <laughs> now, for Larry Rice to say something like that, it's just like, wow. He never would ever say something like that. Just at the fact that he was so modest but if you would have told me that he was gonna that guy was gonna be on espn right doing a really good job calling races and being enthusiastic i'm like there's no way he's a hermit I mean, not a hermit <laughs> he's the most introvert larry would yeah, never yeah he, would, he would never do that yeah, yeah. just mild mannered all right so third final question from doug bowles uh if you're familiar with robin miller there's folklore that aj foyt and you once had a scuffle 
that would be uh, a scuffle is kind of a funny term. No, he smacked the shit out of me. Okay, okay, so give us the entirety because it came from you writing a column that he didn't appreciate, and I'll let you just go from the beginning. 1981, Roger Pinsky shows up with a radar gun. First one we'd ever seen. Sure. Has one of his guys stand at back stretch going into three. Shoot. After a couple days, they compile some notes and they come find me and they said, hey, uh, everybody's getting into turn three going about, I don't know, at the end of the back stretch, they're going like 204. Sports going 219, 220, 221. <laughs> I went, wow. Didn't say anything to AJ. Didn't say, I just put a little line in the story the next day that said, AJ Foyt's straightaway speeds are raising eyebrows up and down pit road. That's what it said. Yeah. That's all it said. So I'm standing out by the tower the day before poll day in 81. There's probably 30,000 people. The grandstand's packed. And I'm standing there with my arms folded, standing next to Danny and Guy, this pit board guy. And, eight, and there's a yellow, and AJ comes up behind me and goes, and smacks me, and I had long hair, longer hair, and jerked me behind the scoring pylon and said, I'm going to kick your f***ing ass. And the veins are sticking out in his neck. And I'm like, what? I mean, I had no idea why he was mad. You're probably I really, still stunned I was, as well. You just and got I, whacked. And yeah. I said, calm down. What is wrong? You write all that bullshit about me in the paper. I'm nice to you. You piece of shit. I'm going to kick your ass off from one side down. Calm down. There's no doubt you can kick my ass, but don't not over something like this. Well, my mom's been sick, and you've been picking on this, and and it was just a, it had been a bad month. I think his mom was, I think his mom died later that month or whatever. And I'd always gotten along with AJ because I think because I raced and because I worked on IndyCar, yeah, right? Pit, stop, pit crews, and I wrote about it passionately. And right. and the fact is, when he'd blow up or something, I'd give him an hour. I wouldn't go. Yeah, find right up away. and say, hey, what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, or I'd call him later or whatever. So we always got along great. And then, uh, so he calms down, and I pull out my <laughs> notebook, and I start <laughs> taking some notes. So I walk, he walks, that, so so he, he gives me a little smack, a pat, and heads back to get in his car, and I walk across the pits, and there's two guys that are attorney friends of mine, and I went, that's a lawsuit. That's assault and battery. You got 30,000 witnesses. I said, oh, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. That ain't going to be what I'm doing. I'm going to write a story about what a cheater he's been all these years. <laughs> oh, so now you're going to do the Now uh, I'm going to write Now it's gone from a little bullet point to yeah. a... Yeah. Okay. Right. So okay. I write this story, AJ, about nitrous oxide and, and <laughs> things like this. And, he, and, and I got to preface this. He didn't ever have to cheat to win in the 60s and 70s. Sure, he sure. was that good. Yeah. Yeah. But nitrous oxide had crept into the conversation you about the back stretch speed. Yeah. So we got a law student that's working in the sports department, and he reads it, and he goes, he tells my boss, he goes, I don't think this is a good idea. He goes, <laughs> now, I'm not a libel lawyer, but he said, Robin just got a hit by this guy, and this will be seen in the court of law yeah. as, you yeah, know, that's retribute. This yeah. guy is... He's, now you have this is this is what he's fighting back with. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. And our sports editor and our assistant sports editor called me up and they said, "What do you think?" I said, "Fuck him." <laughs> <laughs> run it. So they run it. Run it. In the Sunday paper, which we had a half a million circulation, yeah. which was a big deal then. <laughs> Foyt's great Foyt's legend hidden by hidden by cheating was the headline, I think. Or something right. Like so the next day, there's about. 50 Foyt fans camped outside the media center, and they're going to tear my, 
tear me from limb to limb. They got their Foyt shirts on. You mother, we're going to kill you. You know. So I didn't see, I didn't talk to AJ. And then a couple weeks later, I get called into the publisher's office and he said, AJ Foyt's going to sue us. And I said, what for? Libel, slander. And I said, they said, can you prove any of the stuff that you wrote? I said, I can subpoena the mechanics that told me the stuff I wrote. What about your own two eyes? It says, I, I said, I saw a nitrous line in his coyote at Pocono and he had, he had a nitrous bottle at, uh, in his uniform. That's all? I said, well, that's a pretty big, yeah. uh, that's all you got? Well, we've decided we're going to pay his legal fees because we don't want to go to court with him. I said, he's not going to sit in the federal court of law for, he's yeah. not like, boy, yeah, won't, yeah. AJ won't do that. So make a long story short, we run a retraction that my story was based on innuendo and whatever. AJ wins the, we pay his legal fees and, and he wins the lawsuit. And, you know, so we don't talk for a year almost. And I'm at Cleveland and I'm it's raining one day. I'm walking through the pits of Cleveland and he's, and I know that I, I'm, I'm going to be walking by him. He's standing up by his car with an umbrella. And he said, hey, Poison, because he used to call me Poison Pen. <laughs> hey, Poison. Poison Pen. <laughs> Come here. And I'm thinking, okay, there's not a lot of people out here. Lake Erie's only 100 yards away. He could drag me out there and drown me. Surely to God somebody would help save me, wouldn't they? Maybe, Plus, maybe not. I don't know. I don't so he says, I don't think we ought to hate each other anymore. I said, AJ, I don't hate you. He goes, well... Let's just let be, let's let's have bygones be bygones and just be friends again. I said that's great with me. So from that day forward, it's like not brothers, but I mean, I mean, I call him anytime. He calls me, and and I I flew to Watkins Glen with him in his jet the other day. I mean, but I always have admired him because of that spirit and that yeah. I'll do whatever I want to do. Yeah, right. And that right. that whole attitude. So. Looking back on it, obviously I probably shouldn't have reacted the way I did. It would have been a little smarter on my part just to, or I should have at least told him, hey, I'm going to write a story about your, you know, you. but he probably shouldn't have smacked me. But right, it's pretty right, funny because right. the thing at, through the years, people say, I heard you and Foyt got in a fight. And I've said, do you, what do you think would have happened if there would have been a fight? A fight? I said, there would have been one punch and there would have been a mortuary. That would have been it. <laughs> right. No, there was no fight. There was a smack. Now, I did say, because I told Lion Dyke, Lion Dyke goes, we got something in common. I said, nah, he didn't knock me into a flower pot like a sissy. I, I kept my balance. <laughs> I, I think the fact that he gets on his bulldozer, which is what he calls it, every day, and goes out and knocks trees down. He's 83 years old, yeah. and, he, and that stem cell surgery really helped him. He looks good. And he's mean, he's he's gonna live to be a hundred. He's too mean and ornery to die. Yeah. And yeah. he's the toughest son of a bitch I've ever met. Lee Koonsman's close, but Foyt, all the things that have happened to him in and out of a race car, it's it's unbelievable. But he's a tre he's a national treasure, just yeah. like Mario and Gurney yeah. and Parnelli yeah. and Uncle Bobby. And the thing about Foyt is, he still has that presence that people are a little yeah a little a intimidated, intimidated. Yeah, yeah, and they're just yeah. not. Yeah. And I tell people, you have no idea what a teddy bear he is now compared <laughs> to what he used to be oh sure, oh, sure, sure. but it's funny because he was talking one day uh i think there was a bunch of writers it was might have been in, uh, raining and, and he was in the media center and i was sitting back typing or something like that so i wasn't really interviewing him and in uh, things like that and he had the microphone and somebody asked him about something he says well you know he says i don't believe in all that legalese and lawyer stuff 
He says, but I have been in two lawsuits. He says, Sports Illustrated and Rob Miller says, I kicked both their asses. And they're all looking back at me, <laughs> pointing, pointing at me. And I said, yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> and uh, I just he, he, I just get such a kick out of talking. I'll bring something up. Springfield, 1961. When you retire, you know, you're, or the Hoosier 100 when you're your brake came out in your hand on the white flag lap and, and and Mario won the Mario won the race. Yeah, the guinea, the guinea should have never won that race. That made me so goddamn mad. Right. But he is, without a doubt, him and Parnelli and Gurney and Bobby are, it's why I fell for racing and it's why it became so important to me. That's why I still go out and go crazy at these swap meets and buy pictures of them. Yeah, and because yeah. today, I mean you know, in 20 years, um, I think all our memorabilia is going to be pretty. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, the kids today don't. Really yeah. But he's he's funny because I've been trying to talk him into an AJ Foyt picture book. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. And I, he, nobody cares about that. I said, oh, yes, they, they do. do. Right. And he's got so many books at his house. Oh, really? I mean, so many pictures at his house. Drawers full of black and white pictures that are just right. his whole career. Yeah. IMCA, yeah, yeah. midgets starting out, and and just and I just told him I said. Mario's got a picture book. He does. So maybe that'll... <laughs> Mario's got a picture book. Right. And that, that's the other misnomer is that he hates Mario. Sure. He, that's a big act. He acts like he hates Mario. He doesn't hate Mario. For the show. He respects him. Yeah. And they they were grand marshals at Daytona a few years ago, and they sat for breakfast for three hours, and Mario said it was one of the best days of his life because yeah, they yeah. had so much fun talking. But AJ's funny. You know, if you bring him a picture, it's him and Mario, and Mario's already signed it, he won't sign it. <laughs> He's he got to sign it first. first. I'm like... <laughs> Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding. Me. Well, so we need to get you guys hooked up with Anthony uh, Joseph he's Boyd. A, he's a uh, hero of mine. Yeah, I have no he's idea how we'd even uh, first book well, I ever read. First you, book you're ever gonna read. pay me a big I'm finder's fine fee, I'm fine yeah. and I'm gonna drag him one day next May from Charlie Brown's. So sabotage him. Yeah, and we're yeah, gonna drag we're yeah. gonna yeah. drag him over here. Yeah. I'm in. And I'm gonna lie and tell him you guys are gonna pay him five grand for an hour interview. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that might be yeah. a little yeah. steep. Yeah, we're we're gonna go to TE for that budget. Well, yeah, yeah. So oh TE yeah, TE will write a check. He loves okay. Anthony Joseph Foyt. So the the Indianapolis Star, Indy Star was, I presume, up to of that up to a point, the dream job. You know, you're getting paid to just cover USAC and IndyCar, and and it's everything you want to be doing. And obviously, that came to an end, uh, presumably because you were fairly outspoken about everything. What is that moment like when you get called into the office, so to speak? Well, the girl that ran advertising said the star was trying to do a business-to-business relationship deal with the Speedway. The star wants to sell the paper at a discount at the track and have some new stands. They want to sponsor opening day and they want to sponsor carb day. They want to put Speedway stuff online on the stars. It was just when the this was 99, 2000, just when the internet was taken off. And she said, Tony George said, we'll never do anything with the star as long as that sucker is working there. Which it presumably meant me. <laughs> presumably. I don't know. Depends on how much you're sucking. So when I got fired, it was like, they fired me because I used vulgar language and emails, borrowed money from Tom Sneva, and helped Kenny Brack start a website. Really? I'd been there 33 years, and that's why you fired me? Really? First phone call I get from Mario. He goes, hey, Racer, you know what happened, don't you? 
I go, I got a pretty good idea. He goes, Tony George got you. I said, that's what I heard. And Mario says, well, don't worry. He said, I got three car washes. We can use a manager. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's pretty funny. So, it's like minute five. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I like it. Too, too soon? No. No. <laughs> so I was already working at ESPN on a show called RPM Tonight. And they called me and said, hey, come to Bristol. We want you to be the full-time motorsport rider. Let me back up. A month before I got fired, I got called to Bristol, and they said, we want you to be the full-time motorsports rider. And I said, will I have to cover NASCAR? And they said, you'll mostly cover NASCAR. And I said, not interested. Then I got fired, and I'm like, what? I, mm. I call them back. You know, I've been thinking. <laughs> NASCAR's got some pretty good stuff. You guys are working out a bit. And the guy says, well, interestingly enough, we've decided not to have a motorsports editor. We're going to have one guy cover NASCAR, and you're going to cover IndyCar for us. And we'll give you $400 a story, and you can write 10 stories a week if you want, and you keep working at, tell, you keep working at RPM tonight. I'm... Talk about luck. Yeah, no kidding. So then ESPN loses racing right. in 2003. Yeah. So I'm like, my boss at RPM says, hey, brother, you better start looking for a job. We're all going to be out of work. Frank Wilson Speed calls me and says, hey, I hear ESPN's shutting down racing. Come work for me. I'm like, I'm there. Same thing. Work for the website. Do speed center and then I started doing and the Spain and I just hit it off and he was so generous to me. I mean I ho I hosted or coasted Wind Tunnel like thirty five times. Yeah. yeah, right. And he didn't have to be that. I mean it's his show. Right. So talk about lucky. And then he was gonna quit Wind Tunnel in two thousand. His last year was gonna be two thousand five, I think. He was just tired of it. So he called me and he said, Hey, uh, I told him that I suggested you become the host of Wind Tunnel because I'm quitting. I said, well, thanks, but I hope I don't want you to quit. Well, I, I'm quitting. My wife wants me to quit. I just don't want to do it anymore. I go, well, thanks. So he calls me back a, a week later. He goes, don't get too excited. He goes, Fox is going to close speed down. He knew about it just like that. He knew about it. Dave knew before anybody. So then I'm like, I'd always written for Racer Magazine, and Bill David Malsher called me and said, hey, we can give you so much a month as a salary, right for the website, and you can, and then NBC hired me the same year, and I'm like, you talk about luck, you talk about yeah. fate, look at the yeah. lucky things that yeah. have happened, right. and and in and, 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 and the order they did, exactly when you were out of work, suddenly yeah. you're in work again. That doesn't happen. Right. Like all these kids that go to journalism school and write your letters and call you and I meet them at the track and they said but I, I want I want your job and I said brother you, yeah. they don't make it it, 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 it it I can't even explain to you how lucky yeah. I've been yeah. and there's no outlet for you kids anymore there's no magazine Embracer's the only magazine yeah there's no there's no newspapers to learn about you got to have a blog or a website or yeah. something so I said just get comfortable in front of the camera and learn how to write and maybe you can I said learn how to write that's the most important thing and then yeah. take it from there yeah so, you know, the thing of it is, is when you're over 50, it's just like your people, it's, it's actually, it's so crazy because 
when you finally get to 50, you've actually learned what you're supposed to do. You know, it's yeah, actually, yeah. you actually and can now you're do stuff. Because yeah, sure. yeah. I just laughed. I told, um, I had I had to take Miles, Mark Miles to lunch once a month. And um, so we were talking about TV, a couple of that, and it looked like NBC was going to try and buy ABC out and just get him off the planet. But there was no, NBC's programming's already done for next year, so there was nowhere to put they wanted to have five or six races on national TV. They they could have given they could have given two, so they're kind of stuck. So I told my boss what Miles had talked about, and um, he says, "Well, I think we're going to have it in 2019." I said, "Well, just don't fire me." Just, I said, "Just <laughs> let me hang on for one more year on national. I just want to be on national TV for like three shows so I can yeah, cuss one time on national TV." Get fired for the right reason. Yeah, go down the I made it, I made him so nervous on I made <laughs> live shots on speed and ESP and I made those people so nervous because yeah. I'd cuss right up until they started. <laughs> hey, tell that stupid. I've been really good. I haven't even come close to cussing. Now Tracy, <laughs> my boss called me a couple years ago. He says, "Who can we get in the booth? Can be entertaining, honest, and people know who he is." I said, Paul Tracy. You think Paul Tracy do it? I said, "Okay, do it." So I called Tracy. I said, "Hey, don't be an asshole. Don't ask for a bunch of money." Yeah. Get your foot in the door, and you can do this for the next 20 years. Yeah. So he's actually done pretty, pretty well. Yeah, no, he's excellent. Him and Townsend yeah. are pretty good. It's a good little pairing. Yeah. Sometimes we got it. I've told Townsend we're going to get some tape and tape your mouth shut about halfway through some of these races. Like God, give it a rest. <laughs> Somebody else talk. So we're having dinner tonight with uh, Dorsey Schrader. Oh my God, <laughs> the biggest pervert in a 12-state area. Okay, he's not locked up. No, no, he's Only free, roaming around. Yeah. yeah. Is he here for the SCCA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he's doing some broadcasting stuff, so you might see him at the track. Oh, good. Yeah. So uh, to, to continue the pass-along theme, if you could ask Dorsey Schrader anything at all, and it would be our face that gets punched if, you, if, if it's a bad one, um, anything you would not ask him, what, what would it be? Has he made more passes on the racetrack or in the bar? <laughs> I approve. Done. Done. <laughs> Dr. Robin Miller. And has his dream of making a porn flick ever come true? Double part. That's just for you guys. You can have some fun with him. He's one of the coolest guys. Dorsey's one of the coolest guys. And I don't know him that well, sure. but just being around him, is he's infectious. He's just yeah. fun to yeah. be around. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I mean, he's been in the sports car scene now doing the broadcasting side for yeah. the last 10 years. He's, he's fun. He's a real gunselman. Yeah, yeah. How do you spell yeah, that? I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> we we, we got to ask uh, one, you know, a couple little hard, I don't know if hard questions is, is the right There's term. There's no such, th what, what, are you going to ask me what the f***ing national debt is? That's no. a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> but there there are there are those who would argue that some of the stuff that you do is just sort of like saber rattling, just getting people riled up for, for no reason. Um, Stewart thought that. He, Tony Stewart thought that during the IRL cart thing and he said that you're just uh, he's just whining we're, about everything we're, we're doing a, we're, we're doing a tv show together yeah. every night and tony george's sister stood there the whole time i was on live going like this <laughs> and he said who was that i said that's tony george's sister and he goes yeah he goes i know why you do that this. and i said what do you mean he goes i know why you write this <laughs> you just want people to read your column and get fired up i said no i actually believe what i write <laughs> right. and right. it's not like it's when you like something a lot and right. you spend your whole life in it immersed in it and you see all the mistakes that are made right. on a daily weekly monthly annual basis it's pretty hard not to pick on them right because they For do sure. so much stupid shit. right 
So what I've tried to do in the last couple of years is not be quite as negative and not be quite as big an asshole and say, look, Mark Miles and Jay Fry and even Randy, they all inherited this fucking nightmare. Right. It's not their doing. Right. They didn't come up with this theory. So let's let them try and dig out of this thing and just try and concentrate a little more on maybe um, the, the racing's been pretty damn good. So, right. what, you know, what do we expect? It's just that at the height of the car, there was so much stuff going on in the mid-90s and when this whole thing started that you had to, you just had to take a step back and you had to, you had to phrase in your mind, what would Tony Holman think of what his grandson yeah. is doing to this place? I mean, he, he, Tony Holman was everybody's buddy. So it, I, I think people, it's funny, people say, oh, columnists, they just, you know, columnists want to, you're just trying to get people to, to like right. Borde told me once, he goes, you just write all this stuff so you can get hits. I said, Sebastian, because he was mad because I broke the story last year that he was going to Dale Coyne. Why the f did you write that? Why did you have to write that? I said, because you're a big deal and it's a newsworthy. He goes, well, Craig hasn't told Andretti yet he's leaving. I went, I didn't know that. <laughs> <I'm> so, <laughs> so I apologized to okay. Craig, and I tried to apologize to Seb, and I said, yeah. I honest to God didn't know. Yeah, we're actually going to see him on Saturday. Uh, Craig. Craig, yeah. yeah. Craig's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. He's, he'd, be my, he'd be one of the first guys I'd go after if I was a team owner. Sure. Yeah. He's That's magic. Right. He's done magic stuff. But, but anyway, he, so it, it's like, what does a 68-year-old guy got to live for besides porn and betting on football? Not a lot, okay? So or thirty-eight. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. wait, <laughs> is that an age thing? <laughs> no, no, that's not an age thing. So you think about what's fun, what's still fun, and it's so funny, fellas, because you know from traveling and talking to people, this much of the population gives a rat's right, ass exactly. about IndyCar racing. Well, but that's but see, that's the flip side of the question that I would say. Um, there's no denying you're passionate for the sport. Obviously, you want to see the sport succeed. But if you, from the business standpoint, has anyone ever made the case that you know if if this week they're reading about Tony Kanaan needs a ride, and next week they're reading we need more American drivers, and they're completely contradictory? Um, is that bad for business when a sponsor is just constantly seeing this stuff? Like, oh, f this, I don't want to be here. It if could be, but yeah. if a sponsor pays any attention at all, he knows it's going to be a challenge. Sure. And that's, I think, why more people just say, I'll, I'll just sponsor Indy. Yeah, but right. We right. know that's going to be okay. Right. Right. That'll be all right. Yeah. But nobody, you know, 3.6 is, how do you, yeah, yeah, how yeah. Do you figure that yeah, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't read blogs, and I don't read comments. I just don't care, I guess. Oh, you but, should, though. But people it's so <laughs> fun. But you people do say, don't do it. Don't do it. people say, Miller says Sato's going to Sato's going to Ray Hall. It hasn't been announced yet by IndyCar. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, okay, oh, they haven't not, issued the official press release. Clearly, so, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then Sato's PR guy comes up to me at Gateway. This is what this is what makes the job funny. And I'm standing outside of Sato's home motor coach waiting on him. He says, "What do you want?" I said, "I just want to get a denial from Takuma. That he's going to go run for Ray Hall." You're not going to write that story, are you? I said, no, I already wrote it. I just was going to plug yeah, in a quote here. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I know he's not going to be able to say it, but i got to give him a chance to at least re respond. Yeah. He goes, well, it's not a done deal. And he's, there's two or three teams he's talking to. And you'll be, if you write that story, you'll be wrong. I said, I'll take my chances, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but I've done this almost 50 years. Well, you're doing okay. But here's yeah, the, yeah. the greatest thing about it is, is if there's actually something that does mean, I mean, NASCAR is not a very big deal either. On the scope of in the, in the greater football, I mean, living in Los Angeles, I can say no one gives a. 
No. But any of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the the things you live for are when you're right and you know you're right and everybody thinks you're wrong and you've got this little secret and you're like, this is the greatest. So I was working for ESPN or Speed and we, oh, R.J. Reynolds. R.J. Reynolds had just signed a five-year extension. Well, one of my buddies at NASCAR, I didn't have any too many, but I had one that was really connected. And he goes, he calls me up and he goes, Miller, he goes, RJR is pulling out. I go, what do you mean? They just, re he goes, they just had an emergency board meeting. They're done at the end of the year. They're out. He goes, I'm in charge of finding a new sponsor. I'm telling you, write it. Well, who, I can't get a quote from, nobody even knows me in NASCAR. I don't know those people. So I make up I use his quote, and, and I quote him as a tobacco industry insider. Right, right. He's working right. for NASCAR. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so I write this Well, it's story. in his best interest to find sponsors to have at least. Yeah, right, right. But, but, yeah. He, but, but he's, but he's, he's like, he goes, they will And he goes, obviously, yeah. you can't breathe a word of where it came from, but he goes, have yeah, some yeah, fun yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I call up Danny Darnell. R.J. Howard is an old buddy from Drag Racing. And I said, hey. I said, I, I hear uh, you guys are getting out of, when's the cup? At the end of the year, he goes, we just like, re-up for five years. What? I didn't think you drank. I said, I don't drink. <laughs> no. He goes, that's stupid. Don't write that. Okay. So I call Rusty Wallace. He's about the only guy that could, I knew that would talk. Yeah. He's driving through San Francisco on some PR tour, and I go, hey, Wallace. I said, I hear RJR's getting out. He goes, listen, cat. You might know a lot about IndyCar racing, but you don't know jack shit about NASCAR. And I got my finger on the pulse, and I've never even heard it. He goes, we just re-upped with RJ. I said, okay, do me a favor. Let's imagine that I'm right and they're going to leave. What would that mean to NASCAR? And he gave me these wonderful quotes about how they bought his suits, yeah. and they painted the tracks, and they gave him deal yeah. tow money. Yeah. It was great. It was exactly what RJR helped turn the whole thing yeah. around. Yeah. So I write the story. And my editor at... I think it was ESPN, because they still had NASCAR. He calls me up and he goes, you're killing me. You're going to write a story that says RJR's getting out and you don't have anything except a quote from a tobacco industry insider? What the f are you doing to me? So then they call the lawyer in and we have a conference call. And this guy says, I'm, I know you've done this for a while, but I'm really uncomfortable with the story. And I said, well, you guys hired me to come up with scoops. And this is the best one NASCAR's had in a while. And I'm guaranteeing you a thousand percent that it's true. So I write it. They, they, they reluctantly publish it. We get beat up by AP does a story with Bill France. I don't know where this shit comes from, who this guy is. I've never heard of him. This radio station in the South, they take turns at having a day every day. What are they gonna, who's, what's gonna happen next? He's gonna quit. And they, so, I mean, we're just getting tattooed. And so my boss is a nervous wreck, and he's got a wife and two kids, and he goes, I have a terrible feeling that you've finally f***ed this thing up. And I said, <laughs> Mike, I'm going to tell you something. It's true. Just be f***ing patient. Yeah. So Danny Darnell calls me back, and he goes, Brother, I told you not to write this story. You're the laughing stock of NASCAR. You're the laughing stock of RJR. There's people walking out here telling me my friend's an idiot. What, how, why did you do it? I said, it's true. I know it's true. He goes, 
you're crazy. I know what's going on. I said, no, you don't. Driving to Sebring Spring Training the next morning, Kurt's having spring training at Sebring, and I'm listening to this Joey and Johnny or what their names is. They're the, the Southern guys like Bob and Tom sure, here. Yeah, yeah, your, yeah. your average yeah, morning yeah. radio show. Sure. And this guy says, holy mackerel, just got a release here. RJRs, they're getting out of NASCAR at the end of the year. I drove off the road. I was like, <laughs> so I get, I get to the, I get to the press room, and there's a thousand messages for me. Call this guy. Call right, this guy. Right. So I just call my boss at ESPN. He goes, I'm sorry, I doubted you, but you got to admit we didn't have much there in that story. I said, what we had was was the greatest source you could ever want, which I will never tell you yeah, who it yeah, was, yeah, right, right. but I knew it. And yeah. so, make a long story short. I hadn't been to a NASCAR race in five years, yeah. so I broke that story. A year later, the same guy calls me up and he says, just got off an airplane with Bill France. Uh, Brian is going to replace Mike Helton on Monday. That's the official press conference, just in case you want to have a little fun with it. It's only Friday. Yeah. Thank you. I'm <laughs> like, Brian France, the village idiot's going to replace Helton. This is good. Yeah. So I called Brian France's office. You don't know me from Adam. I never spoke sure. to him. Said, is Brian there? No, he's out on his boat. He'll be in Monday. I said, well, this is Robin Miller at Racer. I said, could you make sure and try and get a quote from him? I said, I'm getting ready to write a story that he's taking over NASCAR and right. replacing Mike Helton. And I said, I, I think <laughs> it would be nice if me. he'd probably want to respond. And she, there's just silence. And she goes, what is your name? <laughs> right. said, Robin Miller. Where? Racer Magazine. Racer.com. And you're going to do what? I said, I've written a story that he's going to replace Mike Helton, but I'd like to get a, a response from him. Yay or nay? I don't think that's possible. And hangs up. So then I call. I don't know who else I call. Anyway, so I had to make up a quote, which I did. And, and it, it was some, I, I, don't, I don't know what insider this was, but it was another one of these, my buddies. Yeah, yeah, quote, yeah, yeah, yeah But yeah, I yeah. used industry insider. So... David Poole of Charlotte writes a column that says this is never going to happen and Robin needs to stick to IndyCar racing. Jennifer Fryer, the of all AP, calls up Bill France and says, what, are you going to let this guy mimic you? And Bill France says, I don't know where these stories come from, this guy. I've never even spoke to this guy. I don't know this asshole? This guy, blah, blah, blah. So, they go, so it's NASCAR... Is it Loudon? That Saturday morning, they have a practice session. Alan Bestwick and the boys weigh in on TV. Well, there's another erroneous report. There's an erroneous report out there. I don't know where this guy comes up with this stuff <laughs> like this. And Jeff Burton said, to his defense, well, he is the guy that broke the R.J. Reynolds story a couple years ago. Yeah. And there was kind of quiet in the booth, like, don't disagree with us. Mike Zizzo is the PR man from NASCAR, an old buddy of mine. He calls me up at noon. He goes, you mother I go, what's wrong, Zizzy goes, you mother f***er. you have ruined my f***ing day. <laughs> he goes, they're flying, they're flying Brian France here from L.A. to have an emergency press conference because of your f***ing story. Because now they have to. Because yeah. now they have to, right. and they got to tell, Helton found out about it by your story. They oh. hadn't told him yet. So Marty Smith, the little guy that does yeah, the ESPN no, reports, yeah. you know Marty. Yeah. yeah. He calls me up and he says, you know what? He goes, you know, I played basketball a couple times and you came to the Brickyard and I know you don't like NASCAR because it really pisses me off that a guy that don't even come to our races writes the two biggest f***ing stories we've had in a decade. How the f*** did you do it? I said, I'm an old guy, Marty. I got friends. 
<laughs> now that's what makes your job fun. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, when they're yeah. all like, are you sh me? They flew Brian, they flew Bry guy nice. in for the fucking emergency Bri press conference. Sorry about your day, but. Uh, Brian, <laughs> I gunslemaned. I get invited to go to the Road Racer Drivers Club dinner with Petey Cunningham because he's a member. And you generally go up. If, if, so a lot of fans might not know about this dinner, but basically they uh, celebrate a driver or a right. person in motorsports every really year. Really cool with pictures. And it's amazing. Uh, and it's and hosted by Bobby Ray Hall, and he kind of does like his version of a Letterman-style interview. And then you generally go up because you know the people so well, and you do a little bit. But this is like a nice dinner. Everyone's in suits and ties and jackets, and you're wearing literally what you're wearing right now. Well, yeah. I, did, I had my Bobby Unser sweatshirt on the night we roasted That's right. Unser. Yeah, we did Unser. That, did one, I that tell was the, amazing. Did I tell the turkey story that night? I don't remember the turkey story. I, you should tell I, the turkey story. The turkey story. Practice used to start May 1st at Indy, and they'd stay at the Holiday Inn across from the track or the Speedway Motel or the Howard Johnson's at the end of Crosville Road. So Uncle Bobby and Gordy Johncock each stayed at Howard Johnson's because it was cheaper, honey. I didn't have any money back then. So <laughs> That's what he said. When it like. would rain, Unser would walk to Kroger's, okay. which is, you know, half a mile or drive or whatever. He walked to Kroger's and get a cart and get a turkey and put the turkey in the cart and start trolling up and down the aisles until he spotted a pretty girl, pretty lady. Uh. And he'd walk up, as only Unser can do, and he'd say, Hi, I'm Bobby Unser, Indy 500 winner. I really, really <laughs> like your city, and I love turkey. The problem is I'm staying at Howard Johnson's, and I don't have an oven, and I haven't had turkey in almost a month. Do you think we could go to your place and bake this turkey? <laughs> now, you think it's, you think it's fun? No, I believe you. I'm telling you, <laughs> it worked. He got laid. Not a lot, but some. But it worked. Right. It worked. Yeah, 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 I yeah. just love turkey. Well, I, I told that at a big, yeah, maybe it yeah. wasn't that dinner, but I told it at a big dinner one night, and Unser goes, now, Robin, you didn't say you were going to tell that story. I said, Unser, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to talk about. Come yeah, on. Right. But how do you top that one? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I'll give That's you it. one. That's oh, it. Okay. Oh, okay. Gordon, Gordon Johncock, whose nickname was Tripod. Okay. Third leg. Yep. 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 He stayed at the Howard Johnson's, and every time he'd have sex with somebody, he'd write their name down in pencil underneath. They had the fold-out table. Well, they came back Classic. one May, and they'd re redone the Howard Johnson's, oh, no. and right. he f***ing panicked. And he got the maid. <laughs> he goes, i got to have the key to get in every room. She goes, get away from me. No, yeah, i got to yeah, have the key. Yeah, I gotta yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So here is two-time Indy winner on his knees, crawling around, looking, flipping these thing up, trying to find the list. Right. They'd erased them all or they oh, painted them or something like man. that. I worked hard on that. <laughs> that was all I had. Bobby Unser. You should have seen his second wife, Norma. <laughs> she was half Indian. She's Bobby Unser Jr.'s mom. She's absolutely a stunningly pretty woman. Meaner than a bag of snakes. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why that would be, Unser. Why would she be meaner than a bag Walking of snakes? Kroger, this yeah, is yeah. where the podcast is just a little bit not perfect because you're doing the face, too. Yeah. Like, you're doing exactly. the Bobby no, Unser like, face. Like, like, no, no. But yeah, you, you yeah, got to admit. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's he, spot on. It's you spot guys got to get yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, right, we'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely, lovely boys. They were nice <laughs> kids. They, they didn't ask for any money. Well, Dario's in the car, and he's waiting on us, and he gets cranky. So uh, with that, Continental's got the check. That's our out. Thank you, Continental. Uh, but it didn't, aren't we supposed to talk about Dario getting killed by somebody? 
That was last year. That was last, that was last year. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. say that again. Perfect. Just do, Actually, do that thing again. Sure. Yeah, okay, okay cool. Um, Dario's waiting on you. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we got to get going. Uh, Dario's in the car waiting on us. And uh, with that, uh, yep. you realize, of course, that if there was a contest to see who had alligator arms when a check came, here's here's your all-time final four. Okay. Bobby Enzer. Okay. <laughs> Johnny Rutherford. Dario Franchitti. George Bignotti, God rest his soul. Okay. Okay. Yeah. However, Dario did pull out his Black American Express card one night and bought Steve Shunk and I dinner, and we took a picture of it since it's the first time it had ever been seen in public, <laughs> and he thought he was covering up the four numbers that you don't want to oh. – he, he covered up the wrong four numbers, and he called us immediately. Hey, don't put that on Facebook. Hey, hey, hey. You can read it. Yeah. You can read it. <laughs> He sold a castle. Have him buy. Right. <laughs> well, Good this talking, case, you guys. Yeah, in this well. case, Continental's got the check. <laughs> Thank you, Continental. I'm finished. Robin Miller. Holy crap. Are you not entertained? Anyway, Robin was uh, one of the highest suggested guests we got from our, our fan response, so... Quick shout out to Bill Maddie, Chad, Dave Brodigen, David Lopez, Jeff Gable, Matt, Walt Preston, and Zach Platt. And I'm sure there's other people that maybe we left off uh, for the handy suggestion. Hopefully this was everything you dreamed of with Mr. Robin L. Miller. And uh, 1911 Grill, thanks again for such amazing hospitality to Miss Sarah Fisher and everyone who works there. Uh, but moving on, we are going to go to the next new band. This is a group called The Deadlies who sent us some of their stuff. You can find them on Reverb Nation. And uh, here's a little ditty called Pink Champagne. Dig it. I like women in pink champagne. Gas in the fire, my life in the flames Locked in the wires, got nothing on me Pink bubbles of love is all I want to see I like women in pink champagne Throw gas in the fire, my love in the flames Yeah, tattooed hips and sweet pink lips Take my heart right out of a total eclipse Tell sweet little lies, truth in your eyes Yeah, pink champagne makes for bright blue skies I like women in pink champagne No gas on the fire, my love Play. 
fire, my love, in the flames.